Hey, welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Riverman. Dean, when was the last time you paid for something in cash? Oh, in cash? Cash. Oh, I was not expecting that question. Uh, I needed to pay for something in cash the other day and didn't have any cash. I never have cash anymore. Same here. I thought you were going to say, like, well, it was just yesterday. I was going to call you an old man. uh, So I was traveling recently. I wanted to tip a valet. Yeah. Yeah, tipping becomes more complicated yeah, when we don't carry cash anymore. Really complicated. Yes, yes. Really and they does. don't have Venmo. Although I was at a place that saw a band. Yeah. You know, they usually have the tip right, jar right, taking right. the cash. They were doing that, but they were also taking Venmo. Nice. But anyway, that's smart. So, but smart. that's not where you're going with your I'm, question. I'm not. I'm, what I'm going with <laughs> is cash is no longer king, yeah, as we like to call right, it. Right, yeah. We all are diving into I could ask another question be when's the last time you used your debit card? Oh, never. Outside of getting money out of an ATM. Never. That rare time you needed cash you use your debit card maybe to get it out of the atm right yes that's probably the last time i did too yes exactly so we're we're it's a credit card world yeah it's a payments world an electronic payments world but it's also a you know getting to be a contactless payment world Mm -hmm. a mobile payment world we've talked about payments before on the show true we're going to dive back into that today a little bit more yep and talk about the fact that hey it's it's time to start selling this stuff we're going to help you as VARs understand how you can sell payments to SMB because they're mm-hmm. traditionally the the market's a little more reluctant or hesitant to move into some of these newer versions of payments that are out true. there in the space. So right true. Yeah. yeah. So we've got Chris Lenz from North American Bank Card with yep. us today. We're going to talk about you know how payments have changed over the last five to ten years. Mm-hmm. It's been a pretty rapid change mm-hmm. just in you know the, at the last decade or so. Yep. Obviously, what did the pandemic teach us about payments? Because a lot of <laughs> stuff had to shift, and a lot of where we are now is because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about those SMB retailers, why they might be hesitant, how we can help kind of push them forward mm-hmm, a little bit, mm-hmm. and maybe dispel some myths around the world of payments and you know what is and isn't correct when we're thinking about payment types and what they have to offer. Yeah, so yeah. all that plus our usual uh, value to the VAR, what's tech connecting with us. It's time to plug in and get connected. <laughs> Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, as I mentioned, our guest today, Chris Lenz. He is the VP of ISV Sales from North American Bank Card. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your day-to-day role at NAB, and, and you know, kind of how you got to, to where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, so yeah, as I mentioned, I'm the VP of ISV Sales here at North American Bank Card. Um, been uh, working with these guys, and, and my role day-to-day is working with me and, and my teams to both work with new ISVs and VARs getting into the integrated ecosystem, uh, as well as running our relationship management and, and support channels. So really, the nice thing is it allows us to keep everything all sort of under one roof, if you will. And, uh, and avoid any disconnects for our, for our partners out there and uh, try to add value back. I've been in the payments industry now for going on 15 years. So I've seen a lot of the trends come and go. Uh, I've seen a lot of the different uh, talk tracks that we've had over the years and, and how they've morphed and changed. And I think we're really on the cusp of some exciting things uh, now in the industry. So I'm looking forward to talking to you guys and seeing where the conversation takes us. And one awesome. of the interesting things I think bring, uh, Chris brings to the table here is that ISV side. And hopefully we'll we'll get into that a little bit because there's a lot of software developers out there that are 
you know, developing programs, apps, things of that nature that need payments. Right, and, right. and and that is kind of a little bit of the Wild West. Chris and I were recently at a at a convention together, and it's, yeah, I mean, there's some opportunity there, but there's a, a lot that needs to be explained as well, yep, yep, <laughs> you know, around payments. So. Well, Chris, you mentioned you've been in the payment space for 15 years now. So obviously you've seen a lot change, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the show. 15 years ago, most of us probably were using cash yeah. more often than I not. I had cash least, in my wallet, I yeah, can tell you typically that. you were using cash. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you might have had a credit card and a debit card, but you probably didn't use them quite as much. You may have encountered a lot of places that simply didn't let you use those yeah. that required cash. So how has the discussion around payments been changing during your time in this particular industry? Yeah, it's changed in many different ways. Uh, one of them is that I'm, I'm really seeing a, a change in nomenclature that we're using. When we talk about payments, it used to be, to your point, credit, debit card payments. Now we start talking about those non-cash payments. And the reason we're doing that, you know, you both mentioned, for example, the Venmo tip jar uh, with your your local uh, musician who, who's out there trying trying to make a buck. Um, you also have now in-app payments, online payments, paying with mobile wallets, all those types of things. And although those devices are typically tied back to a credit card, the consumer mindset is really changing around that. So if somebody goes and pays with their phone, yes, it's probably linked back to a credit or debit card, but their mind, they're paying with a phone. They're not using their credit card to pay for it. So, so the term we've started using a lot is non-cash payments. You've got cash and non-cash payments and how those are going to go down. Um, you know, how things have changed and the way the conversations have changed. It, it used to be when, when a merchant sales rep went out and sat down with, with an SMB, the first only, and sorry, my co-host walking in behind me there, Ziggy, uh, <laughs> my, my, uh, the, the first and only conversation was around pricing. And, and what are you going to do for me for price? And how long is it going to take for me to get my money? It's still clearly an important part of the conversation. Uh, you got to bring value to, to it from a, a pricing perspective. But really, that now has become a, almost a table stakes. We know we're going to come in. We know that we're going to get aggressive pricing. What else do you have to offer me? And the what else is a lot of times things like online portals, uh, whether for reporting purposes, chargeback purposes, um, virtual terminals that they have access to if they might need them on occasion. It goes to your tech stack. You know, what are those non-cash options you're gonna give me? Does somebody have to walk in my store to pay? Am I easily gonna be able to tie in an app? Am I easily going to be tying in recurring payments? text to pay is something that we've seen a lot of across a lot of different verticals. And, and so that now comes to dominate the conversation in ways I would not have predicted uh, 10 years ago uh, or even five years ago. And a lot of those conversations have really come about in the last 18 months in the SMB space. I would agree with that, Chris. And when you think about it, I mean, obviously we play with a lot of technology solution providers and they're mm -hmm. they're used to kind of digging into that. But uh, I think what Chris is, is talking about here and what I've noticed is that the payment industry itself is recognizing that. And you have to have, if you're in the industry, you have to have that conversation with the end user. That That's the only way you're going to be able to differentiate yourself because it's not on price. It's not on, right. you know what the what the kickback is it's, it's how can they how can you as a partner on the payment side make this endeavor even more frictionless because that's what the, the end users are looking for right they want that frictionless experience and payments is definitely in that field yeah. uh, and so it's critical and and yeah i would agree with you it, that these are conversations that in the last five ten years you weren't having back then yeah mm -hmm. yep. yeah i like what you mentioned like the kind of the new nomenclature around this and the idea of the the non-cash payments, because to your point, 
you're right. I don't think when I use Apple Pay, and I love to use Apple Pay, it doesn't. I don't think about the fact that it is tied to my credit card. Right. That's my credit card that I'm using. Right. But you're right. I think of it as I'm using my phone. Or if I'm in an app or on a website that lets me use Apple Pay, I'm thinking of it as I'm paying with my mobile Apple Pay service, even mm-hmm. though it's going to my credit card. When I pay my credit card, that charge is, has ended up there. Mm-hmm. And I think the important distinction there is to help to, to make people think about the fact, and I think we'll kind of get into this when we talk about you know why there shouldn't be this reticence on the part of you know SMB to to you know take on these services is that people just want to do something the way they're comfortable doing it. I don't like to have to pull my credit card out and shove it into a machine every yep. time I want to pay for something. It's so much more convenient for me to hit something on my watch, or right. pull out my phone and do it there instead. And and I admit, even though it's technically coming from the same place, mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm still thinking it's something different, and I still get frustrated when I can't do it the way that I want to do it. So yeah. I completely get that, you know, kind of that naming convention has to change in order to make people understand, like, look, people really do think of these as different things, even though they still technically revolve all around that same card mm-hmm. and banking system in mm-hmm. a way. So, mm-hmm. well, then, so let's talk about the pandemic. And obviously... A lot of stuff changed over the last year that, you know, really pushed the payments conversation forward because people wanted to be contactless. People wanted new options and ways to buy stuff. People were buying stuff online more than they were before uh, and, and needed to be able to pay for it online, you know, versus having to actually go physically pay at a store. So what did what did the pandemic teach us about future proofing? Because there was a lot of businesses that kind of got caught with their proverbial pants down last mm-hmm. year and were not ready to make these shifts and not ready for people to come to them saying, hey, I don't want to have to pay you in cash anymore. I don't want to have to pull my credit card out. I don't want to have to touch all these devices on your counter anymore. So what do you what do you think we learned from that? I, I think what we learned was a couple of things. And you really, John, hit on it just a second ago. It's being able to deliver a product or a service in a manner that the consumer wants to use it. Right. So what, what the pandemic taught us was that consumers really can drive change within the industry. Uh, I, I've, I've told this story before. Uh, Dean, I, I believe, has heard it, but it's a good one. So I'll repeat it. Uh, my wife went out recently and uh, she was getting ready to head downtown and, and do a little bit of running around with me. And we're getting ready to walk out the door. And and I asked her if she had everything she needed. She goes, well, I've got my phone. So if I need to buy anything, I'm, I'm good to go. Well, that only works if the retailer or the restaurant agrees with her. Uh, <laughs> and if they don't, then they've just lost uh, just they've just lost a sale. Uh, and that's what, what really we learned is that, you know, the, the idea that some of these products were, you know, for the, the national chains or the, the big international chains, I think really was dispelled. And the reason is because of the consumer. We want it to be easy. We as consumers want it to be the way that we want it to be. And so when you look at all these different products, you know, being able to tap and pay with your with your phone or, or with your watch, um, it's something that we have gotten used to. And if if the SMB space is not offering that, truthfully, they're going to fall behind. Um, and what's different about this this trend than what we've seen before is that a lot of these these new innovations are driven more by the uh, driven more by us in the industry than is driven by the consumer. And these changes are truly being driven by the consumer. The nice thing is from an SMB space, from a merchant space, from a VAR space, is most processors today and most of the ISVs that, that the VARs are probably working with have recognized that, right? So they're enabling a lot more of these products within their suite of services and within their software. Um, it, it all comes down to your ability to, to, to f- go with the system and, and the way that the stream is running. Um, you know, I kind of laugh when, 
when I do that term, you know, how are we going to future proof? Like I'm, I'm sitting around with a turban on my head and a crystal ball gazing into a, a, a dark room trying to come up with what the next thing is going to be. Um, there's, there's often a little bit of that, but I think what really we need to do is just look around, right? Look at what you're doing as a consumer. If you're, if you're a, a business owner, you know, you look at what you're doing as a consumer and then you just say, Hey, I, I should probably be able to offer that to my consumers, my, my clients as well. Uh, everything these days, for example, has an app around it. Uh, I just bought, and, and something I, I never would have put this together, but I just bought a, a pre-cut gazebo to build out in my backyard. First thing you do when you open it up, it says, open up our app. And what's the <laughs> app do? It gives me a YouTube type videos on how to build the gazebo out in my backyard. Uh, and it also conveniently links me back to their catalog in case I want to buy more product from them where I'll yeah. be able to do so directly from my phone, paying via app. Um, that's, you know, if you had asked me that question five years ago, never going to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, the more we go down the path and the more IoT, Internet of Things that we see, the more consumers want everything to be connected. They want it to be seamless. Um, that's something that everybody's got to consider at this point. No doubt about it. And put some uh, statistics behind that. This is a year and a half old at this point in time. But uh, when they talk to merchants, only 36% confirmed they have dedicated contactless terminals out there. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a wide swath of small to medium size and large businesses. But, you know, and we've had this conversation before. Maybe a couple years ago, I was not as sensitive to the contactless payment option. You know, right? I mean, I didn't have the watch then. I knew it was available on my phone, but I wasn't yeah. into it just yet. But now, it, that is my default position. I, I'm like your wife. You know, I think oh, all I need is my watch and my right. phone. And Do if, you find yourself if they like can't me, take my payment, dang it! Right? You know, <laughs> are you like me when you walk up to a counter and like you, you're looking at the payment device and the payment terminal and just looking at it and going, "Do I see that little symbol? Right? Do I? Yes. See, does it say anything about Apple Pay? And getting like annoyed when you don't see it? Yes. Especially if you. Because sometimes it's not quite as obvious as it should be, but I hate if I have to ask somebody. Because I feel right. like if I have to ask somebody, and they kind of look at me like, uh, "No, yeah. we don't offer that, you dork." You know, like, look, it, it, it's not a dorky thing anymore. It's it's, it's a, not. It's, it what, just actually, what, what you're is. now they have to say, "No, we're not that cool. We yeah, don't exactly. have that." Like, yeah. You're the dorks now, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that brings me also to you know there was a graphic I found uh, from PCMag.com that was talking about Apple Pay users mm -hmm. and how that much that has changed in just four years' time. So from 2000. 2016 to 2020, in, in September 2016, the number of Apple Pay users, now this is worldwide, and we know the U.S. has lagged behind this stuff even more so than other places mm -hmm. in the world, but it was 67 million users. As of September of 2020, 507 million. Yeah. That's a huge leap. Huge in just a short amount of time. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, to kind of go back to, you know, Chris said about, you know, hey, you don't, we're not talking about future-proofing in the sense that you have to literally be able to predict the right. future. Right, But to be able to at least pay attention to the trends yeah. and see where things are going and have some sense of understanding about where things are going. And even if you're not doing something about it immediately, at least having a plan in the back burner for it or have some considerations about it. You know, I would think the the companies that probably made that pivot last year and did it quickly and easily and smartly were the ones that already were thinking about this. If they hadn't done it already, at least knew, hey, we, we're going to have to start accepting these new payment types at some point mm -hmm, soon. Mm -hmm. We've got some stuff maybe going on in the background working on it, and then maybe just had to accelerate all that in order to get where they needed to go yeah. versus the company that just literally had to start from scratch and say, well, crap, I, I thought I was only going to need to use – 
cash and checks and credit cards, basic credit cards, and never have to do anything else. Yeah. What do I do now? So yeah. I think you know that that's where the whole, the whole future proofing idea comes in is just yep. at least keeping an ear to the ground, paying attention to what the trends are, to yeah. understanding to what's happening in the industry, and making sure that if you're not out in front of it directly, mm-hmm. that at least you're keeping up. Yeah, you're yeah. keeping an eye on things. Right. You're following along so that when it happens, you're not just you know again caught with your pants down going oh. Yeah. Didn't, didn't see that coming. So, Chris, yeah. do you find, is that what a lot of the, your SMB merchants are asking is is kind of that, hey, are you able to take a, our payments in multiple different areas, whether it's online, whether it's via a portal, whether it's in the app? You mentioned it earlier, but just maybe a confirmation that, yeah, you're starting to hear that a lot in the marketplace. Concern coming from the merchants, right? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Being able to accept multiple payment types. Again, I used the phrase earlier, but it's almost become table stakes. Yeah. If you can't do this, then you're going to have a much harder time getting the sale in. Uh, merchants want to have the ability to, to, to your point, John, to keep up. They don't necessarily need to be at the forefront. They don't need to be bleeding edge, but they have to be able to keep up with what they're seeing in other areas. And we're definitely getting the questions around what, what would have been considered more advanced products even just a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Any other reasons do you think they should be expanding their offerings? I feel like we've covered quite a bit of them already from, you know, what customers are simply looking for, you know, staying at least on trend with what's happening and stuff that's changing. But is there anything else that if someone comes to you and says, hey, why should I do this? Why should I be? Things are going just fine. My business is working just fine. Taking the payment types I've always been taking. Why should I be making this step forward? What are some other things you might tell them? Well, you know, business is going just fine for furriers and horse breeders back at the turn of the 20th century, too. And uh, we kind of see what happened there with their market space. And, you know, a lot of people aren't even using combustible engines anymore. Right. They've moved on to the next thing. Uh, There's a there's a difference, I think, between being a cautious business owner and being a contrarian. Uh, If you're that contrarian that just says, I don't need it, I'm going to buck the system. I'm going to prove it wrong. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, but odds are if everybody else is doing it, there's a pretty good reason. So that's why you should at least at least be willing to keep up. Again, you don't have to be the bleeding edge, but you certainly don't want to be the last one. No doubt about it. And the importance, I mean, you're you're hearing it here. It, it's echoed out in the marketplace that consumers want and, and need more choices, that that's not going away. You, we've talked, it's not going away with the millennials. Do you think they're going to look no. for less choices, less places <laughs> that they can buy your products and stuff like that? I mean, maybe they decide cash is cool and retro someday or something and decide to go back. I don't okay, know. Okay, you know? maybe. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm seeing a lot of more on the online or in the in-app purchasing. And so I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought that up, Chris. Uh, you know, my middle daughter who's 19. It, oh, absolutely. I mean, whatever. Starbucks, Starbucks app, uh, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. QR codes. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that, Chris. You, right. Because we, we, you and I were talking about it, I think, at retail now. You we're seeing some some a lot more usage of a QR code uh, in the payment space, right? Yeah, and that that really launched during uh, during the pandemic uh, last year, with people trying to come up with with a good creative way to to get that that non cash payment, that touchless payment in. And you see it expanding out even even beyond payments, right? If you go to a restaurant these days, uh, you know here's QR code is taped to the table or it's on the table stand right here. Here's our here's our menu. Here's how you get to us. Um, that's just one of those technologies. QR codes, text to pay is, is another one in that same sort of vein that I think becoming much more popular. And the other thing you're seeing is these types of things being used even uh, QR codes not so much, but text to pay or in-app payment um, in store 
clearly you got QR payments in store, but the other ones in store that you would think, hey, if I'm paying in app, I'm probably not in that location. That's not necessarily true anymore. Now you can go to a lot of places. Um, on my way back from uh, from that show that you've been mentioning, Dean, I, I went to one of the uh, restaurants in, in one of the airports, and they were encouraging you right there, scan the QR code to get your menu, which brought you to their app. You ordered and paid within the app sitting at the table. Right there. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Not un not uncommon these days. So that that whole idea of, you know, if, you, if you'd asked me a year ago, is, is somebody paying in-app likely to be inside a brick and mortar? No. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Today, well, of course, they, they certainly could be. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that uh, that trend as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think the other important point there, too, is we've been talking about this from the perspective of, hey, you as the SMB, as the retailer, has to keep up mm -hmm. because, you know, consumers are wanting to do this. But the flip side of this also is as these things become more and more part of the payment sphere and more and more part of the retail atmosphere, there are plenty of companies and big retailers, stadiums, for instance, a lot oh, of yeah. stadiums and arenas now have gone cashless. Mm -hmm. So you're getting mm -hmm. to the point where not only is it a matter of they need to keep up, but it's also a matter of consumers have to keep up. Yeah. And there's consumers <laughs> that are being pushed to adopt these things. You know, it, it, a weird example popped into my head. I, I've been running a fantasy football league for a decade plus with some friends I used to work with at an old job. Mm -hmm. Every year we, you know, we get together and, and draft together. And the last couple few years I've been trying to like, I always struggle to get them to pay because I always ask them, bring your money to the draft. Mm -hmm. if, if we would get together in person and do a draft, bring your money and give it to me. But then you got to the point where some people weren't showing up for the draft and they wanted to, you know, they wanted to just do it online. I'm like, fine. Some of us will be in a restaurant doing it. The rest of you can do it online. But then how do they get pay me? And over the last couple of years, I started saying, hey, you can, you can pay me by PayPal. You can pay me by Venmo, Zelle. I've got like five or six different ways that you can pay me. And there would still be a couple of guys who be like, can I just mail you some cash? Really? <laughs> Come on. Get on board. And last yeah. year was the first time that I finally just formally said, look, no, no cash, cash this year. Oh, I'll, you went cashless. For, once we, for one, we didn't get together and draft in person last year. Oh, so I was man. like, you know, this year it is cashless. You have to pay me by one of these avenues yeah, well, in order to go. pay me. And it, and it finally worked. But I think that's the point also is, yeah, right. you know, whether even whether you are a business that doesn't necessarily want to make that move and don't mm -hmm. feel the pressure to make that move, mm -hmm. your consumers are. And once they make that move, they might decide, hey, I like this better and I want to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. John, I, I think you touched on something interesting, if I could, for just a second, you know, talking about some people going in and still wanting to pay cash, you know, there's a, there's a significant portion of the United States that is underbanked, and we all know that. But some of these new uh, technologies are allowing even the underbanked to now access a cashless payment system. So for those SMBs who are in a space that might be, you know, a C-store type space, which is traditionally a cash business, um, the, even that we see shifting these days. So, so again, it's not, it's not being the cutting edge. It's keeping up. Your consumers are now finding a way to go out and, and get it done. And that's what they're going to be looking for. Yeah, I think that is a very that is a very important part of the conversation because I always feel like when we talk about this payments thing, is you do have to recognize that there are a significant number of people that simply don't have access to the yeah to to banking systems or to a way to put their money somewhere that they can then access with an electronic payment or a card of some sort. But but yeah, I, I'm I'm increasingly starting to hear these stories about the ways that we're trying to figure out how to still give them that ability without necessarily having to tie them to a bank in some way if they don't simply have the need for that or the ability to do that. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Chris, let's sidebar real quick on, because I know obviously in your purview is working with ISV partners and we've, Blue Star's got a great relationship with NAB 
be. Uh, they're all aware of our Tech Connect program and the fact that you know we bring in software development companies, try to pull them into our ecosystem uh, so that to the benefit of all of our partners, right? And so that yields new partners all the time and new software companies that they might have some whiz bang app, you know, that, that's awesome. But then they're like, oh, now I got to figure out a payments angle on this thing too. And and obviously a significant portion of the people that listen to this podcast are also software development companies. So let's talk to them a little bit. What are some of the challenges that you hear coming out of software companies as it relates to integrating payments? Or do you have any pro tips for those folks or, you know, just some of your thoughts around that? Yeah, well, I think one, obviously, and and if you're an ISV out there looking for, for a partnership, what you want to make sure you're talking about is tech stack. Um, what is, you know, we're talking about future proofing, right? Is the partner that you're working with staying ahead of the curve? Uh, or are you talking to somebody who might be really limiting your ability to get out there? As an ISV, there's also different ways to come at this. And, and the thing to remember is you don't have to develop every feature functionality within your own software. A lot of times, if you're working with a good payments partner, uh, we may have uh, a third party who has, a, for example, a text-to-pay ability that you can add as a bolt-on, still look seamless, white label it through your program, but it gives you now the selling ability to go out there and market a, a feature that you didn't previously have. So those are the types of conversations you should be having with your payment partners. The other thing I would tell ISVs, and, and this is becoming much more, within the last two years, re really much more prevalent in the space, it used to be a linear conversation when uh, a, a store was having a, a decision matrix about how they were going to buy their, their services, right? So they would first, they would go in and look at what software are we going to use from our ISV partner? And then what hardware are we going to attach it to? And then what security are we going to use to protect that whole thing? And now what payment company are we going to use to tie back into all of these things? And each of those was an independent decision matrix. Now what you're seeing is that really is becoming more solidified, right? You're coming in and you're talking to an ISV who also has the hardware, who also has the baked in security, who also has the payments part program, which is part of their general offering. Yep. And it doesn't have to be a multi-step decision anymore. Um, look, again, look at yourself as a consumer and how you do things as, and then think about how your, your clients are gonna wanna use it. I'm very comfortable going in, and most of us are going in and buying bundled packages. I'm going to get these three services all for one fee. And when I'm making my decision, I'm looking at it as one unit. I'm not looking at breaking it apart. Why? We talked about it earlier. I want it to be easy. I have other things to do. I'm also somewhat lazy. Make that decision easier for me, right? Um, as a as a, a valued partner, you've gone in, you've done consulting with those with those firms, you've given them what you think is your best pitch on why they should work with you and what you know about the industry. So if you layer in that payments conversation with them, again, viewing you as a trusted advisor, that conversation becomes much easier. As an ISV, you want to make sure that you're being accurate, that you're bringing a good partner to the table. But once you've done that, once you've checked all your boxes, having that part of your conversation today is is becoming almost commonplace. Yeah, bingo. That's yep. it. You're exactly right. I mean, I was thinking of the use case like a you know a software development company that's in the field service industry, right? And so they have maybe a a thing that the technician can use when they're on site to document the the call and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But you better believe if they don't have a payment option behind that where they can actually take payment at location and not oh you can pay me by writing us a check. We'll send what? you a bill in the When's mail. When's the last time you weeks? wrote a check? By mm -hmm. the way, I should have challenged you Ooh, on your cash that, question. That's a good one because it's. 
Uh, I did to pay for, we had a deck extension put on this summer, so I did the pay the guy. Okay, a service. Right, yeah, there you go. Exactly. That guy should have had an integrated payment. I would payment. have much preferred because I'm, and here's the thing, obviously, like, I'm working from home, so it was easy for me to pay him when he was done. But, right. But let's say I wasn't. Let's say I needed to be at work, and yeah. he's finishing up, and he's like, right. I want to get paid right now. Right. It would have been so much easier if I could have just popped up on a phone and paid him that way. Well, that's know? my message as software development companies. I mean, they have to be cognizant of what's going on in the payment industry yep. and the fact that consumers are looking for frictionless experiences, whether you're a deck builder or whether you're walking into a Target or a small to medium-sized retailer. It's yep. all the same. Yep. This is the, the the society that we live in. You're, you're dead on, Chris. I mean, what are your expectations? Well, that's going to be the expectations of their customers yep. as well. So thanks for touching on those software folks, though. That is really some good advice there. Well, yeah, it's obviously his expertise there. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let's uh, let's talk about some of the myths and rumors that surround payment types. And, and there's a couple that I found in particular that I want you to kind of, you know, expand on and explain why they're not accurate at all. And then let us know if there's any other ones that you hear about frequently. But one of the big ones is CNP fraud, this, you know, card not present, that if there's not a card actually in use, mm -hmm. then there's potential for fraud. And a stat that I came across said 54% of e-commerce merchants think frictionless transactions make them more vulnerable to fraud. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's a pretty pretty high number. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there was that, and then also the cost to implement support, just you know, get started with these new payment types, especially the processing fees part. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's the one people always think about or balk at or scream about when they're concerned about this. I remember traveling once uh, on a road trip for another job, and uh, I, I was coming back and stopped at a gas station. I went in to go buy just like some snacks or something. Uh -huh. And as I'm walking in, the guy's literally yelling at me saying, we're not taking credit cards right now. They charge me out the butt for fees, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> cash, or your debit card only. I'm like, all right, I think I've got some cash on me. I can I can do that, I guess. But I mean, he was so adamant about it the moment I walked in the door. Pretty fired yeah. up, yeah. I'm just like, man, you got to be losing some business over this, though. Well, you know, right. I, I get yeah. it, but you're yeah. probably losing some business. All right. So, Chris, uh, help us dispel those myths, those two in particular. And, and is there any other ones that you frequently hear that you'd like to address also? Yeah, John, I, I'm going to kind of reverse the order on those a little bit if I could. Uh, I want to talk first about ease of implementation. Uh, again, from an implementation perspective, if you're an ISV or, or developing a, sol a solution, when you're working with your payments partners, uh, those that most of those advanced features are typically going to be baked in. If you're if you're working with with a good high level payment company, th those advanced features are going to be baked in. Um, not all of them, and not across all companies, but the majority of them are going to be one integration. Maybe having to write a second series of code to get that brought in there from an ISV perspective. Um, you know, from an SMB perspective, you're going with non-integrated solutions. Most of today's terminals, again, are going to support your near field chip payments, your mobile payments, your, you know, paying with paying your watch or your phone. They're going to accept your EMV payments. So the, the ease of doing that has really come a long way in the last few years because, again, staying ahead, we as processors have baked into, into our platforms and our systems. Um, in terms of, you know, coordinating that, that omni-channel, whether you're going from app to online to in-store payment, is there a bit more development work there? Sure, there is because you've got to touch touch multiple points. Is it anything that should be daunting or overbearing or frighten anyone away? Absolutely not. It, it, it's a very easy process. Uh, the fact is, and, and I can speak for for our company, is when you're coming in as a developer and you want to integrate into our systems, we tell people it's typically about a six week process, and that's going to get you all the features and functionality. People have done it faster. 
depending on what you've got going on in your life, it might take you a little bit longer, but it is not an overbearing process to get through it. It's not a years long process like it used to be when you had to integrate directly into platforms and that type of thing. Um, so, so definitely don't be afraid. If, if there's a functionality you think you need, reach out to your partners and ask them how to get it. It's in our best interest to make it as easy for you as possible. Uh, just like all those other things we were talking about earlier. From a card not present perspective to go to your other question and, and fraud potential there and frictionless payments, opening them up to more danger. Um, they're, they're, it's not deniable. There is more fraud going on today. And a lot of it is going on in the card not present space. However, there are a lot of ways for companies to protect themselves. And frankly, most of it, I think is common sense. Uh, you don't, there are, there are paths you can go down if you want to work with third-party risk assessment companies. I've even seen companies offering chargeback insurance and all that type of thing. But there are some really simple common sense things that, that businesses can do to protect themselves from that chargeback when they're taking online payments. Uh, one is clear, concise commun communication and consistent naming. So if I go online or I'm in app and I buy something from John and Dean's coffee store and I spend 50 bucks on coffee to get delivered to my house, and I go and I look at my bank statement, or I look at my credit card statement, and I don't see anything from John and Dean, but I see JDL LLC, I don't really know who that is. So I'm now going to question that. I may call the number on there, and I've done this a few times myself. I get my credit card statement. I don't recognize a charge. My wife doesn't recognize the charge. I'll pick up the phone and call the 800 number to find out who it is. It's something valid. For me personally, it has always been. But a lot of people aren't going to go to that next step. I see a charge on there for 50 bucks. I don't know what it is. I'm calling Visa. I'm getting it taken off. That's a chargeback that you as the business owner now need to do, right? That's a very easy process. Um, when you're setting up your online payment, you know, you'd use that term frictionless. We, we want to be as frictionless as possible, but there are still safeguards that we want to put in place, right? Make sure you're getting AVS. Make sure you're getting CVV information. Make sure you're getting billing information that's matching back to the credit card information. If those things don't occur, don't occur, that's a risk potential. You need to weigh that out as a business owner. How important is it to me to get this information as compared to being a, a less friction for my, for my buyer? Uh, again, what we're pre-programmed to do, going back to some of our earlier points, we all go in now and I know if I put my credit card in a site, I can be in a site on my phone. I can load it automatically for Apple Pay. I also know I'm going to have to put in my three CVV digits, right? Mm -hmm. I know that. That is still very easy for me to do. At this point, I know what they all are. We've all memorized it just like our debit card pin. We've done it enough at this point. <laughs> it doesn't frighten us away anymore. So as a business owner, take that precaution. Um, the other thing for business owners, again, from a common sense perspective, if your average sale is $100 and someone comes in and buys $5,000 worth of your product and needs it delivered tomorrow, it's probably worth picking up a phone and calling that person, getting some more information, maybe having them come to the store. Uh, if you typically, unfortunately, I've seen this with some of my, my merchant customers in the past. If you typically work only your, your local business somewhere in the heartland and you get a order 10 times your normal size to ship overseas, that should raise some red flags for you. You should ask some questions. How did you find me here in Des Moines and you are somewhere in you know, Eastern Europe? Uh, I'm really interested in how my marketing got to you, you know, um, ask some questions as it's going down. That's a really good way to protect yourself. If you see things that, that are a little bit out of the norm, 
Um, we as processors are also always going through and trying to update our, our risk management programs. You know, we want to be able to catch this ahead of time. It does not benefit me for my client, my merchant client to get a chargeback, right? That, that is not in my best interest. Um, it's, it's not in the merchant's best interest to have that done. And for a lot of reasons, not just because of potential loss in revenue. So we're always updating our risk management tools. How are we going through? How are we assessing? How are we gathering information? Um, one thing that, that from a merchant perspective, and this is something that they may not think of, uh, it's not often brought up, but when you fill out applications, when you're filling out a merchant app, it asks you, what's your average ticket? What's your normal high ticket? What's your typical volume? The reason is because we're building that into our risk profile for your business. So if your average ticket again is $100 and we see a charge come through for $10,000, we might tap the brakes on that charge. We're going to reach out to you. We're going to ask you as the merchant for some questions and they, hey, we want to validate. We're going to need to get in touch with your client. We might need to see signed receipts. We might want to see a contract. The reason is not because we're trying to slow your business down or, or upset your clients. The reason is we want to protect you as a merchant. We also want to protect your clients to make sure that everything is going through the way it's supposed to. Um, bluntly, that upsets merchants almost 100% of the time. If, if we give them a message that says, unfortunately, we've had to hold this charge on you, very few people go, oh, thank you. I'm so glad I'm not going to get my money for 48 to 72 hours, right? Um, but really, the reason is because we're trying to protect you from that chargeback scenario. I don't want you to get excited about a big sale, send out $10,000 worth of product just to find out a week later that it was a fraudulent card and you have to have no control and can't go get it back. Yeah. I love the common sense angle there. I yeah. think that's the most important part of it is that that just common sense of understanding like, hey, you shouldn't, don't, don't, it's the whole, you know, you might say, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. Well, sometimes that gift horse is the Trojan horse, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and you need to stick it up there and gut yeah. it open. Right. See what's going on. Boy, that was a lot of good advice really to was. resellers, not just their customers, right? Our customers, customers, they, they need to be armed with that type of information. And you can be that trusted advocate, trusted partner, just by that information right there. Go yep. back, rewind what Chris just said, <laughs> learn it and, and, and live it. That's right. There you go. Maybe I'll pull a giant. <laughs> clip out of this and just post go. that somewhere yes. like, just watch this over and over again so <laughs> all right well hey before we talk about how nab in particular can help our vars and isvs mm -hmm. sell payments to smb uh, first of all i want to as always thank our tech connect members that sponsor the show yep. uh elo epson honeywell and zebra thank you so much for your support hey if uh you like the show and you want to tell us how much you like it i'm assuming you like it if you've been listening this long we're what, who doesn't like it we're like 60 odd episodes in at this exactly. point so if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear what you think about this particular episode or any of, any of them. Uh, if you listen on a, a podcaster of your choice, if it's Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating. Give us a review. Any other podcaster you use, if there's some way that you can like or leave a review of some sort, mm -hmm. let us know. You can reach out to us directly also. Find us on Twitter at TechConnectPod. I try to do fun stuff there. I had a yep. gif of Yoda this week on yes, there. Yes, I know. On there. I right? mean, come on. You know, I'm trying to spice things up and make it a little fun there. So <laughs> you can enjoy that. Uh, and you can also email us, TechConnect at BlueStarInc.com. All right, let's wrap up with first the value to the VAR. Yep. Uh, and this is, uh, as always, where we try to, we try to you know, take this conversation and uh, package it up, put a little bow on it, mm -hmm. hand it to our VAR audience. If you take away nothing else from what we've talked about, let's take away this. So in this particular, Chris, I want you to kind of, you know, explain a little bit about NAB's role in, you know, in this, this particular discussion and how are you helping VARs and ISVs go out and sell these new payment types to their customers, especially in the, the SMB world? 
Yeah, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. I think one thing that's really important uh, and that NAB does particularly well is really getting in to understand the needs of that particular VAR, that particular ISV. Every industry vertical is different. Niches are all different within that vertical. Uh, one of the things that NAB does very well is, is we don't try to fit you know, round pegs into square holes or square pegs into round holes either. Uh, we wanna go out and truly understand and we're flexible enough as a, a privately held company as compared to a larger public company that we can we can really get down and we get in we get in the weeds pretty well with all of our partners to understand their needs and how we're going to deliver it we've got a broad tech stack uh, we talked about the importance of that previously whether it comes from hardware uh, working with multiple vendors and and different hardware providers uh, whether it comes to bolt-ons uh, like text to pay or the ability to access other third-party softwares that might be used by the businesses uh, we've got a host of, of partners that we've been working with that we're going to give you that ability. And we're not afraid to, to put that all together. Um, at NAB, one of the things that, that we also do a little bit differently is we've got a, a broad depth of uh, ISOs, agents, uh, VARs, and ISVs that we will market out to. So we recognize everybody is in business to try to make sales. And what we want to try to do is put those connections together. That's one of the things that we do pretty well. So we like to spread the word. Uh, we, don't, we don't keep you hidden in a corner and, and not telling anyone else in, in the business what's going on. Uh, we want to get that out there, let them know, hey, we've got a new partner that's handling this type of vertical. We've got a new partner who offers this type of functionality. Let's get that word out there to the people who might need it and make sure we're gonna be able to, to spread those sales around to those who we can. I can vouch for Chris. I mean, NAB is awesome in the channel. They understand it, both resellers and software development companies. They have resources that they have dedicated behind it. You'll see them at our shows. I mean, the Tech Connect to You tour that's out there, uh, you know, it, they come to our shows. They, want, they have the resources. They have the know with all of how to facilitate business in our world uh and they're great they're great work i love the dna our dna matches up really yep. really well yep. too i mean we we talk all the time about partnerships in, right. in this channel yes. you can't do it alone nope. you're not an island you don't have to do it alone uh -uh. and nab is just one more example of the type of company you can be working with to yeah. to help you as just one piece of that overall solution that you get to go out into your customers 100 percent. why not take advantage of it there you go so there's Absolutely. there's there's some serious value to the var right there <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, let's wrap up with our favorite segment, What's Tech Connecting with You? This is where we get to talk about something in the world of science, innovation, technology, something that's caught our attention and we're excited about, maybe something we're actually playing with, a gadget or something ourselves. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what's Tech Connecting with you this week? So there's, there's two things that have really stood out to me, and, and at some point they might become related. One is the increase in biometrics. Um, mm. You know, we, we see that. I think from a payments perspective, obviously, because I'm typically wearing that hat, but you know, it started out with all of us using our thumb to open up our phone. Um, and, and then, you know, that's advancing now. And there are, there are places now they're putting in kiosk systems where you just go up and walk in front of the kiosk and you can now log in to your doctor's office. Uh, you can go through to certain restaurants and, and walk in front of a kiosk. It will scan you. It knows who you are, notice what your last three orders are. And from a payments perspective, some of them will even hold your payment information. So you can just enter your, your CVV and then pay right there at the store. Um, that to me, biometrics, as that continues to expand, I think is going to do multiple things. One is improving security. And we were talking yeah. about the needs around that before, but Sounds also it's going to reduce friction. 
as we were talking yeah. about before. It's going to be very hard. And, and Dean, Dean's been unfortunate enough to meet me in person. Um, there's very few people who are going to be able to walk into a store and imitate six foot five, 235 pound Chris Lenz uh, if, if there's a scanner going down. Um, that's just probably not going to happen. And, uh, and so I think that that is, is really going to have changes you know, again, I've got my payments hat on, but even beyond that, you know, reg checking into a hotel, if you, if you are, you mentioned Bonvoy Dean, you know, if you're a Marriott regular, how easy mm -hmm. would it be to just be able to walk up to that kiosk in front, stand there for five to 10 seconds, have them shoot the key to your phone, tell you what room you're in, and you just roll on through. You don't have to wait in the line, and it's 2,000 people coming to attend a convention, and you're five minutes before you're, or better before you can get up to the front desk, right? How, how nice would that oh, be as a consumer? Yeah. Yep. Um, the other thing that, that has really gotten me excited, I was just reading an article about this last week, is I, I've been wearing glasses or contacts since third grade. So it's it's been a minute. Uh, and I was reading an article about AR and smart contact lenses. And, you know, we're all familiar with Google Glass that came out a few years ago, um, didn't really take off in the market the way they thought. Well, now they're reducing it down to contact lens size, where I'll be able to go in and walk in and potentially just look at that QR code that we were discussing earlier, have the menu pop up in front of me, be able to select it right there, you know, you know just looking at it, looking into space. Um, that is really interesting to me because I think AR much more than VR uh, uh, is going to be really the next level that's going to be advancing a lot of different technological aspects. Dang, he Love picked it. two good ones. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, I did not know about the One contact. One for each of you. Oh, yeah, well, there, there you go. go. <laughs> well, I, it's like you. I've been wearing glasses since second, third grade, I think, myself. And right? I've never been able to do the context thing. I tried it briefly and just couldn't quite get into it. Yeah. I think if you told me I could have contacts like that, though, I might With a little bit of AR shot, behind yeah. it, yeah. Except at this point, I feel like my head's too weird and misshapen to like work like... <laughs> Like my glasses have literally left like imprints in the side of my oh, head now that I, I think see. are just embedded there. So I think if I, I took you. them off and threw contacts off, people would be like, what is wrong with that dude? Yeah, yeah. Boy, you tied those together really cool. Yeah. I love that. I haven't seen it yet, the contact lens. Did they have some type of device making it so you could gesture in front of it or is it just giving you information in front of it? You know what I mean? So there's like a UI and you can actually do actions with it or what? Or At what? this point, I believe it's just, it's just single directional. You're just gaining gotcha. information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And one of them that I saw tied back to a pair of glasses. So you, you and you had to have somewhere to do the computing because they can't get right. that inside the, the contact. Right. But the other one had it down to uh, just it was a necklace that you wore. And, and yeah. it looked just like it could be okay. any other, you know, uh, necklace that you had on. And they're just going to continue reducing that. It's a, Yeah, it's a wearable. So it's just going to go down at some point. It'll connect to your phone. It'll connect to something you can keep in your pocket. Yeah, um, you know, these are first gen devices that they're getting out there. So by the time you get two or three down the road, think about what cell phones were 15 years ago. Right. Yeah. We all had yeah. to carry around right. that brick and you, you didn't have to go to the gym that day because you'd made three phone calls, <laughs> uh, you know. Today, I, I can talk from my earbuds. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I do like the biometrics. We've had folks like Cyberlink on with the facial recognition. I guarantee you uh, we're going to be well, going You there. know me. I'm all about anything that means I don't have to actually talk to anybody or get near them. So. Yes. <laughs> right. Just show your face and you're <laughs> good to right. go. All Just right. walk in, show my face, be like, no, I don't need to speak to you. I'm going to my room. Yeah. All right. I got a headline from my tech connect. All right. It's, it's going to scare you a little bit. Oh, great. Amazon granted approval to use radar to monitor sleep. 
Come on. So, <laughs> so last month, Amazon requested permission from the SEC to market non-mobile devices that use radar sensors and would operate at a higher power level than currently allowed. So, yeah, right? And the FCC issued an approval for a touchless device which would use radar sensors to track sleep so not only was See, amazon now, listening to everything approval after i shoved a bunch of money into their pocket you know <laughs> they're coming after hey, your, you gonna approve this yeah they're yeah. coming after your sleep patterns and what do you think they're going to do with the radar now that they have it in your room i and can sense I, things that are you know right i mean like, is at this, what point at what point do we do we just say do we really need this? I don't know. I don't know. Chris, are you going to monitor your sleep with Amazon? Is I mean, that, we can do you... with our watches and beds. and. <laughs> yeah, that, that one, I'm, I, I tend to be pretty far out in front, but I, I kind of know how long I've slept. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It, yeah. We, remember we talked about the sleep number bed? I told you I got yes. one of those last year. Yes. yes so yes. my wife likes to make fun of me because I militantly feel the need to check my score every day. Oh, that's I fine. don't know. Yeah, you're good. But the thing is, though, sometimes I let what it tells me I did make me decide it, how I'm supposed to feel that day. Oh, I got you. So I'll check yeah. it in the morning and it gives me, you know, it's, it's like a scale of one to 100. And, okay. You know, like, I, if, like, to me, a good night's sleep is usually when I'm in the 80s. If I hit 90 something, I must have been sleeping hard. Hard. Right, but like if it says like sixty or fifty something, I go, oh, I must feel like crap it's going to be a bad right? day today. It's going to be a bad day. I'm going to be tired all day. I'm going to need to take a nap at lunch. Like I convince myself, it's influencing I think you. It yes. yes, my wife's like, just stop looking at it. If you feel good, just feel good. I'm like but the bed said, I don't. You know. But now you're going to have Amazon saying, no, John. I know. We we monitored you, and you aren't feeling yeah, good. Exactly. <laughs> I could just see now it's going to be like, I'm going to be sitting there and it's going to be like, hey, John, it's time to go to bed. Yeah. Put down your phone, go to bed. Turn off the game. They're going to lose. Go to bed. You know, like, <laughs> but, but no, here, think, go ahead, Chris. I think they're gonna, what they're going to do is see that you didn't get a good night's sleep and push the marketing out even harder than they did before. Oh, Bingo. Well, that's where I was going to go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, It'll you need like, this pick me up coffee yeah, that we can exactly. deliver to you within an hour. Five hour energy. Would you like yeah. to get it right now? Yeah. <laughs> Yep. It's coming. You, you're you're yes, dead on, Chris. Sir. I think it's going to be it. All right. What's tech connecting with you? Uh, so we've heard you've heard of Postmates, right? Postmates. Is, yes. It's more in bigger cities, I think, where they use it more often. It's a you know, delivery service. Yeah. Like you can get basically anything you want delivered to you yeah, through Postmates. Right. Well, have you heard of Post Dates? No. <laughs> Whoa. So, our producer, Marco, is throwing his hands up. Now, I, I, unfortunately, this is not quite what you think. So this is actually something of a a, uh, a parody and a you know a gag kind of thing okay. from a company who apparently at some point also did a parody called Amazon Dating last year at some point. <laughs> Uh, so, That's brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. post dates though is like it says it's like Postmates, but for getting your stuff back from your ex. Whoa. Post dates <laughs> like the actual Postmates <laughs> website. You can select a type of relationship: casually dated, live together, one night stand, etc. Like it's a type <laughs> of restaurant. You, then you can choose from preset items to retrieve concert tickets if you were friend zoned, family heirlooms if you were divorced, or add a custom item. You are kidding me delivery, right now. It's only in LA and New York. Uh, <laughs> delivery starts at $25 in LA, $30 for New York, with an additional what? emotional labor fee of $3.99. Wait, 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 wait. What are they delivering back to you? Your lost goods? Yeah, they bring so you your stuff back. They're going to go get it for you? They will go get it from your ex. They will deal with having to see your ex because you don't want to, and you don't want to be the one to go ask for this stuff. God. Now, my this Lord. is basically being done as a pop-up business, as more of a gag. Like sure. they may even be done with it by now. There's no gag here. This is this is gotta well, be legit. They well, they did. They launched it in these two cities, and they actually got like they said they got like thirty or forty requests within the first couple days, and even people like were sending them screenshots and tweeting out like, right. "Hey, I got my stuff back through post dates or whatever." This is brilliant. 
this is, I mean. And yeah. now I think the other part of it too is because the first thing I thought of was like, well, what if your ex wants nothing to do with that? You know, so I think they, they actually have a, like a feature in a way where they have to communicate with the ex oh, okay. to let them know that this is happening, oh, to do okay. it or whatever. But still. But it's like an arbiter. It's like, you know, it, you're it, going through arbitration. Hey, give me my stuff back. And, you know, we're going to use this. Th- huh? Well, the funny thing is the creators themselves even pointed out like, you know, this probably isn't the way this should be. We should be adults and just go have a conversation <laughs> with our ex and get our stuff back or just give up on it or whatever. He's like, but well, we thought this would be fun to try out. So apparently they did it and they did it with very little funding. Like they did most of it on their own. And, right. Because they were talking about some other sites that were did goofy stuff and like went out yeah. and got millions of dollars from investors for yeah. services that are even dumber than that. Right. And yet, you know, they were able to throw this together fairly quickly and, and launch it and get it oh, out there. So man, see, there's ingenuity just, right yeah, there. Yeah. Like this kind of fun, kind of fun, kind of entertaining. There are certain things they can't do. It said, it said you, you can use it in both of these cities as long as you're not sending a cat or a child, alcohol, <laughs> drugs, or something that won't fit in a bag. <laughs> A child. It's sad they have to say that, and yet oh, I man. guess I get it. You know, like. uh, brilliant. Yeah, I, I love the humor from the get go. You know, what kind of relationship was this one yep. night stand? Yep. You know, a year. Oh my gosh. Just the- Fun. I, I enjoy people in the tech world that find something fun to do right. and innovative to do that is not necessarily meant to be taken seriously and yet still seems plausible enough to be <laughs> real. They, they even said that. He said, basically, this is an episode of Black Mirror is what we're doing here. Ah, you know, yeah, we're, right. We're yeah. messing with the edge of technology and the weird use cases that are off the wall that you can do with it. Uh, I bet you they're uh, successful. No I'm, doubt about I'm it. I'm sure they are, yeah. 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 All right. That does it for us. Chris Lenz from North America Bank Card. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, hey, until next time, get your stuff back from your ex. Be an adult. You don't right. have to use an app for it. <laughs> Unless you're in LA, New York, and try out post-dates, I guess. <laughs> and until next time, please stay connected. <laughs> Quick service and fast casual restaurants have more choices than ever when it comes to technology. But as buying behaviors have changed and labor shortages cause additional strain, it's critical to deploy reliable, easy-to-manage, and easy-to-use hardware. That's where ELO's versatile collection of interactive solutions comes in. Start with flexible POS systems that can be configured for any environment with ELO Edge Connect peripherals. Add durable kitchen display systems that back-of-the-house workers will love. Show off products, specials, and promotions with large-format interactive menu boards. Finally, overcome labor shortages with ELO's always-on-the-clock self-service kiosks designed to support businesses 24-7. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact the Blue Star ELO team. Don't forget the media. Whether you're selling label, receipt, card, or RFID printers, selling the accompanying media and supplies not only adds to the total of each sale, it also creates a reliable source of recurring revenue and positions you as the go-to provider for all of your customers' needs. Zebra designs, produces, and rigorously pretests their own line of thermal printing supplies to ensure consistent, optimized performance and quality. Labels, tags, paper, ribbons, wristbands, and card supplies, Zebra has it all. Customers spend three to 10 times the cost of their printers on supplies every year. Don't miss out on those dollars by selling Zebra certified supplies. Contact your Zebra representative or the Blue Star Media team to learn more.